welcome to Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders, the podcast that takes you deep into the minds of the masters behind the numbers. Join host Chad Dean as he connects with financial leaders as they share their journeys so that we can gain valuable insight from their failures and triumphs. Get ready for candid conversations, behind the scenes anecdotes, and practical wisdom that will transform the way you think about your career in finance. Put down the balance sheet and listen in. Hello, my name is Chad Dean. I am the host of Behind the Balance Sheet. I'm also the CEO of Integrated Management Resources. Integrated Management is the sponsor of Behind the Balance Sheet. And I've been an executive recruiter for 27 years based here in Phoenix. And I've spent my life interviewing people. And the purpose of this particular show behind the balance sheet is to learn more about Phoenix financial leaders and create a repository for those that are looking for a career in accounting and finance. And I'm very happy to have our guest today, Scott Brogy, and he is the CFO of Open Tech Alliance here in sunny Phoenix. It is very sunny today and very hot. Welcome, Scott. Nice to have you. Thanks so much, Chad. Really uh, looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. So let's just begin. Let's, you know, we're, t- we're interviewing you today. We're learning right. about you. So I just learned something uh, very fascinating right before we went live. And so tell us kind of, let's start with that, where you were born and, and just yeah. kind of a little bit about your background. Sure. Yeah, I was, uh, my, my father was in the army. He was a, a West Point graduate. At that point in time in the 60s, he was uh, stationed out in Southeast Asia. So I was actually born on the island of Okinawa, which is kind of a, a joint military base, still very important to Southeast Asia and Taiwan in particular today. So um, and kind of grew up in the army for the first 15 years or so. So, you know, got around to a lot of garden spots and, uh, you know, lived in a few different places. But I've always viewed it, that military background is a real advantage because I think it gives you comprehension of what people from different places bring to meetings and 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 uh points in time when you connect with them i've always seen it as a real advantage but uh it was a fun start and then we kind of settled on the east coast after my father retired and when did he retire he retired in the late 70s okay and then so uh we uh he was working for at&t in in new jersey and so we settled out there and that's where i went to high school and then ultimately uh college up at Syracuse in, uh, in kind of the opposite of Phoenix, Arizona, a, uh, a very chilly spot most of the year. So anyway, I've seen, I've seen both ends of the range, I guess. Yeah. We share that, in, uh, share that in common. I was a, an air force brat. My dad's a pilot. He was stationed mm-hmm. actually in Thailand in oh, Vietnam Yeah, and he retired Colonel. So we share that military That's background great. and yeah. the fact that you moved around quite a bit, had to make new friends all the time. Absolutely. That, that helps you with your social skills, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the military families tend to be in the same boat. So usually somebody shows up with cupcakes or a cake or a pie as you're bringing the uh, trucks off the May or the boxes off the Mayflower van. Right. So. um, So, yeah, it's a it's a great group of people. And uh, it was I I really thought it was a great way to grow up. Yeah. So tell us about uh, you chose uh, finance. Yeah. Uh, as your undergrad, but it doesn't sound like you started out that way. No, no, not at all. It's funny. It sounds like we had some, some common background there as well, but, uh, yeah, I, I started out actually a mechanical engineering at Syracuse and, uh, suffered for three semesters. I actually transitioned to double E at one point and 
just didn't turn it. And I was, you know, I was always good at math, right. But sort of tangible math. And, um, as it got more theoretical, I, I tended to struggle with it more. So at the recommendation of a, a friend, I tried a couple business classes my sophomore year at Syracuse and, and that really clicked and, uh, showed me a path to where I could build a future. And, and that's how it's all turned out. So that was a real, that was a real pivot for me going from engineering to finance. And I think, you know, shows that you can make those kinds of changes and it's important to find something you like and something you really connect with so that you can go deep. Absolutely. I, I started out doubly, e, <laughs> uh, but I was not good at math and I have no idea why I was trying to become an engineer other than I like right. figuring out how things worked and yep. I loved electricity. Uh, but, Pascal and Fortran were not my forte. So right, I right. ended up back I in, and I got a degree in biology. At least you're using your background. <laughs> I'm not using a degree in biology other than in fly fishing, which we can talk about later. Yeah, though. I'm looking and forward to that. Entomology is important, right? <laughs> uh, so tell us about, uh, did you make the decision? Was there a choice between finance and accounting? And, and why did you make the finance choice? Yeah, I tended to um, gravitate more towards you know, kind of the economic side of things and, uh, and certainly did a lot of coursework in both. And then right after college, I had an opportunity to join Chase Manhattan Bank at the time, right now, JP Morgan Chase. And they had a, a really great uh, training program. It was called the Global Credit Training Program. It was a full year as very deep dive and took you through sort of all the core elements of accounting, financial statement analysis, tons of modeling, you know, it was uh, to go back, I think it was uh, in Lotus one, two, three back in those days. But, um, you know, it was really deep and really built one of the things that I still enjoy today, which is modeling, budgeting, kind of putting those pieces together, figuring out what the drivers are going to be for a business from both a top line, a revenue perspective as well as, you know, ultimately what's going to uh, end up on on the net income line or the EBITDA line, right? And so um, being able to go really, really deep in that really kind of hooked me, you know, right right in my first year as something I, I knew I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, in the program, you kind of graduate and then you usually spend a couple years running a, you know, pretty traditional corporate banking credit team. That was kind of the the process for moving up. Uh, and so that that was a good experience. I ended up during that process moving down to the Baltimore, Washington area. So Chase had acquired a bank down there and they wanted to build out kind of a regional corporate finance practice. So went down to that market, ran a credit team for about a year and was kind of uh, apprenticing with a pretty experienced uh, or very experienced uh, senior banker from from the Baltimore Washington market, so that was great. And then they, you know, they kind of figured I could, you know, add and I could like get out and talk to people and not generally embarrass anybody. So they let me progress into what Chase called a, a, a relationship manager role. So you know, I got to go out meet with people all over Northern Virginia, D.C., Baltimore, and interact with those clients and figure out what they were looking for and see you know, how we as an organization could differentiate what a, a money center bank could bring versus what some of the local banks could bring. And one of the big things was uh, corporate finance and derivatives and those kinds of things. So it was a great opportunity. I mean, I couldn't, 
I can get anybody out of New York for under a billion dollars in revenue. And this is the early 90s, right? A long time ago. So I got a lot of rope, which was really fun. So I learned a lot. I got to make a, a lot of connections. And it was, a, it was a tremendous experience. And that really kind of pulled me more towards the finance side than the accounting side because it was, you know, you're, you're generating the data, the information, the financial statements, but then really seeing very early on how CFOs, controllers, VP finances would use that to accomplish the things they needed to accomplish for, you know, large privates, even a, a few smaller publics, NASDAQ, NASDAQ traded companies that were in the area, you know, really showed me at a very early age what, what that outcome could be, right? And that's what I really connected with was, you know, what are you going to do with those numbers? How are you going to take them? So I think there's a lot of value to each, but I, I do think they are two very different things. I think you see a lot of CFOs, because I know that's where we're going to end up, who have a classic accounting background and CPA, and I think that's very valuable. And then you see other CFOs that, you know, tend to be a little more about the strategic side or the capital raising side. And I think they they do tend to be very different, right? So um, for me, I, I, I like the latter. And, and I think it's because I started seeing how organizations would use those things and how they would position for capital and how they would look ahead a couple of years down the road. So that was a, that was a great start for me, a great opportunity, and, and I'll always be thankful for it. So I think it shows that it's important to find a place where you can learn early on and get a tangible sense after college of, you know, what you really want to do when you grow up. But it's, it seemed like it gave you exposure to a lot of different industries. For sure. And it was definitely, I'm sure, did you work pretty hard first couple of years? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's what happens in, uh, you know, accounting, certainly in, in the legal side, right? You're, you're putting in your hours and, you know, and I was driving all over Southern Maryland, Northern Virginia, DC. So in the car a lot, doing a lot of meetings. So yeah, they were, they were long days, but they were really good ones. Yeah. So then you're, um, you decided to go to B school from there. Yeah. So I, you know, I'd spent about five and a half, six years at Chase, great progression. It kind of stepped up into an officer role, but you know, at that point in time, I, I kind of realized that I didn't want to work for a, a really big organization my whole life. And it's funny to look back because I think Chase Manhattan, when I left, had like 42,000 employees, which seemed like a huge number when you're like, you know, 27. But I mean, you know, they're they're massive today, right, with all the consolidation. So, um, so it was a good time for me. Came out west, got into uh, UCLA. So did the, you know, packed the van up, uh, spent one last summer on Cape Cod and then... Uh, drove the van across country and showed up in Los Angeles. You know, that was really a great experience for me because of my work background at Chase. I was able to wave out of a lot of the core classes, right? So statistics, other things like that, that were, you know, pretty foundational. I was able to, to wave out of those and then get into some advanced classes really early and then also do um, a fair amount of internships, which I think have a lot of value as well. Cause it, it continues to take you down that path of, well, maybe I think it's going to be like this, but here's what it's really like in, in the real world, right? So so that was really valuable, uh, but got to um, TA some great classes early on. Uh, one gentleman who won uh, Business Week's uh, Graduate Teacher of the Year a couple times, fantastic corporate finance professor, Bill Cockrum, 
um, got to TA that class, and that was a lot of fun because I was, I was it's a two year program. I was still a first year, and I was getting to TA. It was like the capstone class for the second year, so I got to, you know, have a little fun with the second years, which the second year marketing students. So that was a that was a lot of fun, but had a really good blend, had a fabulous experience. And, uh, and then after business school, had a couple opportunities, but really wanted to build out my Rolodex in LA to use an old phrase. Cause I, I'd never lived in on the West coast before. So I wanted to do that. So I, I joined an investment bank out there, you know, got into a number of sort of valuations a lot early, uh, initially, and then ultimately doing M and a, and that's, that's ended up being a, a really big shop, Houlihan, Loki, one of the top three, we were much smaller back in the like mid to late nineties when I was there, but they did a fabulous job of building that business. And, and it was a good experience. But then um, I ended up getting recruited out by a CEO that I'd actually done an internship for when I was at Anderson at UCLA. He was in the healthcare industry and he, um, he had kind of this crazy idea in 1997 about uh, aging in place. Right. And, and so we kind of put a business plan together and went out and, uh, raised about uh, 7 million in venture capital from a firm down at Del Mar. Kind of, then it was off to the races. That's what I've done for the last 25 years. So I'm going to back up a second because you chose MBA Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial finance, Mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe a, a pure, is that, is that equivalent to a finance Masters, would you say? Yeah, I think just a slight business tinge to it. Right, right. Yeah, and it was interesting because while I was, I forgot to mention while I was with Chase uh, in Baltimore, Washington area, I actually wanted to take a class in, I think it was like portfolio theory. It was something that was more like investment related, right? And I'm working at the bank, and I wanted to do that. But to um, to take a class, you actually had to apply to their graduate program, right? And this is Loyola College in Maryland. So I did that. And again, they this was kind of the first time that I was able to wave out of a few things, right? So got in, completed that that program. But I think that was another thing that reinforced that I wanted to go more in the direction of what are you going to do with the data? How's that impactful for the organization? And then looking down the road a bit and saying from a, a capital perspective, what's it going to take to get to whatever the goal is for the organization, right? So, you know, we want to get to X dollars in revenue, or we want to get to a certain EBITDA level and have a transaction, or we've got a couple founders who are ready to call it quits and move on. So, you know, I think it's, it's all about aligning with what's that ultimate goal for the organization. How about the network you built at UCLA? Still there today? A- absolutely. Tight, tight group? I've still got a lot of friends. I still go bike riding with a couple of my classmates. Uh, and uh, now it's, it's a great group. And now it's funny to see people, you know, what are we, almost 30 years down the road from from graduation. You know, a lot of people are, are really at, at senior roles at companies. So it, it does um, give you that network where when you're trying to connect some dots to get someplace that you can have a, a, a good conversation with somebody who's going to, you know, steer you straight. So ton of value in that network effect that you get coming out of graduate school for sure. So no, it was a, it was a great time. Uh, had a lot of good years at the beach in LA and, um, and I still have a lot of great friends from the program. You mentioned internships, uh, 
and how important they are. Yeah. And they really are that important when I'm looking at a resume and I see somebody coming straight out of school. I want to see what internships they had. Have they right. tasted the real world? Yeah. Uh, did they taste the real world of what we want them to eventually do? Right. And so did, did you end up getting picked up by one of the interns? Did you intern yeah. with Houlihan Loki? So I didn't intern with them, but I did a few sort of capital-related internships while I was there. So some of it between first and second year, typically you'd have kind of a summer job, right? So I worked for a investment management firm up in Pasadena, and um, and that was good. Um, but then instead of classes, you could also take internships, and then you would kind of submit a report at the end about what you did. So because I'd waved out of a few core classes, I had some extra credits where I had more flexibility. And UCLA was really great at that point in time in terms of encouraging people to, you know, again, go out in the real world and see what it's going to be like, which I, I agree with you completely is hugely valuable. And so I had a chance to do that. And one of them was a, uh, a healthcare company. It was like an infusion therapy company, if I remember correctly. And then the C, but the CEO was a real visionary. He, he now um, runs a, um, uh, a healthcare related uh, kind of venture fund still in the Los Angeles area, but uh, really sharp guy uh, and, and kind of the rare combination of could see down far down the road, but then was also really engaged on executing. And so he, you know, he saw something in 1997, 1998 that I think people are really just starting to execute on now. So I saw a quote when I walked into the office here. It was a Steve Jobs quote, one of my all-time favorites. But it was that where it was almost like he could see the future, right? Like, And for him, it was just, wow, this makes complete sense. Why wouldn't we do this tomorrow, right? Like the world needs this tomorrow. And the concept was uh, aging in place, as I think I mentioned. And so, you know, and I think you certainly see it here in Phoenix a lot because we have a, you know, very robust senior community here. But a lot of people would much rather stay in their own home as opposed to going into institutional care, whether it's assisted living or whatever it is. And so the idea was to bring caregivers into the home to allow people to stay in the home that they're comfortable in longer. And so it was a great idea. And, and the other part that was important is he saw the change that the internet was going to have for the senior population, right? And so the internet was just kind of starting to blow up as I was coming to the end of business school was an area I was very interested in. And so he, he thought the senior community would get engaged there more quickly. Now, if you look at what's going on here in 2023, it's hugely important for, for the senior community and they can do so much of what they need to do on the internet, you know, and it keeps them very independent. You know, Joe was right. He was just about, you know, 20 years early. So we had a good run there. We did a roll-up when I ended up leaving Houlihan and, and joining uh, Joe for that. And, uh, you know, we rolled together a number of home care companies. And uh, But it was really a great experience going out, seeing the full circle of raising the capital, putting the business plan together, raising the capital, and then executing and going out and rolling up eight or, ten, eight or nine businesses in the first 18 months to jumpstart the revenue and kind of seeing that whole thing come to fulfillment and then build a big business. Out. I mean, that business is still around today. I think they do a couple hundred million a year in revenue. 
and it's getting close to what Joe had envisioned in 1997. So I'll tell you what, I can't see beyond the end of my nose <laughs> half the time. And, and I'm so impressed by visionaries and, and right. people that have that skill. I don't know if that's a learned skill or if it's a natural skill. I wish I had a little bit more of it, but yeah. um, but that's that's great that you got to work with somebody like that. So I want to go back to you're at Hulahan Loki. You have yep. the CEO asking you to leave. Right. Go to industry. So right. everybody talks about, oh, I want to go to industry, but a lot of them don't. They stick around. They become partner. They make a lot of money. Yeah. It's just a different- I probably should have because they ended up getting bought out by a Korean firm and everybody who was there did really, really well. So anyway, we'll, we'll see how that one ultimately pays out or not, right. but I probably had a little more fun. But but making that choice, was that difficult for you? Was it, this is the next step in my career, I need to do this? Because there's a lot of people that are sitting right now in public accounting and sure. they're sitting there going, well, should I, should I go to industry? Should I not? Did you ever have a regret? Tell me about that thought process at the time. Or was it a no-brainer? I'm ready to go. Yeah, no, it it wasn't quite a no-brainer. I I think I'd, you know, I'd been there two, two and a half years. Um, and again, at that point in time, Houlihan was more valuation focused, you know, 409A valuations for companies doing that on a regular basis, as opposed to say the MA side, which is, you know, a little more variable and 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 um, you know, has has uh a, a little more excitement to it, maybe to use a, to use a word. Right. So, um, so it was, it was kind of a good time cause I'd been there for a couple of years. I'd learned the basics of valuation. And I mean, I, I still apply that stuff today. We just did a valuation for my current firm a quarter or two ago, and then did a stock buyback based on that. So, you know, that, again, that foundational knowledge, having that right grounding to understand what the important levers are is incredibly valuable all through your career. I certainly struggled with it. Had I known they were going to get bought out a couple of years later and everybody was going to do great, it probably would have made the decision harder, right? But um, never really any regrets because um, very quickly I was able to get into trying to take a real concept to market, right? So we went and raised capital on that plan, moved into, it was funny because when we raised the capital from the venture firm, one of their partners had like a uh, partial interest in a wine bar in Dana Point, California, right? Which is a great town. And so I'd be commuting down from Los Angeles, which was uh, approximately 52 miles, if I remember correctly. And so we actually, you know, the, the partner said, well, you know, while we're getting everything started, you know, you guys can just, we've got some extra storage space in the back of this wine bar. So you guys can make that like your founder office, right? So there were like five or six of us in there. It was, you know, not quite a garage, but it was pretty clear. It was like actually probably worse than a garage, right? Um, How about happy hour every day, huh? But we could walk <laughs> around the corner. So that, that was a nice feature, certainly. Um, and then after we got some traction and we acquired, you know, we started to deploy the capital, acquire some businesses, then, you know, we needed to start executing on a lot more and we had a lot of, a lot of staff. So then we, you know, moved into some bigger space and, and, you know, it's, it's been off to the races for 25 years there ever since. So, so tell me, when did you, or yeah, when was the first thought that came into your head that I would like to be a CFO? Yeah, I think it was, it was probably there. It was, the company was called um, Accent Care. It was actually the name of the organization still around. So I was kind of the founder, Joe and I were kind of leading 
corporate development, right, which is really just acquisitions. We're out buying, doing this roll up. And then they brought in a very experienced, great CFO, female CFO, actually, um, in the end of the late 90s, Janet. So I was able to see kind of the leadership that, you know, she brought to the CFO role, right? And so I think that's one of the things that really attracted me because you had your hands on a lot more elements of the business, right? So, you know, CFO can can be in charge of, you know, not just sort of the accounting, financial reporting, FP&A side, but, you know, you can touch certainly operations. You have a, a ton of oversight over spending and budget. Technology is a piece that information technology will often often report into the CFO as well. So, you know, I, I was doing the M&A on the front side, bringing those businesses in. But then in many ways, we're kind of handing them, handing the business off to the operating elements, right? And so it did feel a little bit isolated after doing it for a couple of years. You know, I had a desire to kind of have my fingers in, in more pieces of the pie. So I think it was, it was probably then that, um, you know, I first said, you know, that's probably kind of the direction I want to head towards longer term. Um, so, yeah. How long did it take you to get there? Took me uh, about seven years. So um, I joined uh, another, uh, after a couple of years of M&A, they were going to slow down their acquisition pace a little bit. So it wasn't going to be as exciting. Plus the 52 mile drive each way was. Which is 150 in LA, right? Yeah. It's like a thousand in LA. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Anywhere else. So uh, this was a good time for me. So I I ended up connecting and, and this is where I, you know, that network we were talking about at Anderson was, was so great. Cause I, I always stayed close. They have a entrepreneurial study center at, at UCLA that's traditionally in the top five in the country. So it's even more recognized than say the, the, the graduate program in, in total, fantastic program. They get students into all kinds of opportunities. And so I'd always stayed very close with the gentleman who ran that organization and, uh, and, and, and the person who helped him do that. And so, uh, she told me, yeah, there's a couple, uh, Anderson grads a couple years after me and they've, you know, they've got this idea in photography and I had recently gotten married and the, the founder of this business, he and his wife had recently gotten married. And basically the concept was, you know, how weddings used to work a few years ago was, you would shoot it with a, a a film camera, right? So, because this is film, like what's that? Two, this is two thousand. <laughs> this is going way back, right? Shoot it with film, and then you would create this proof book, right? And then you know, if you've got family from outside of where you are, you have to send this proof book around so everybody can see what's going on and see how great they look, right? And um, and then they would order off it, and all that backend stuff is like the last thing that professional photographers want to do, right? They're very creative, very artistic. They love the event, but they kind of hate everything after it, right? So the original idea was to um, was to digitize from film and then post that up to the internet and then actually print off the digital file, which you could only do to a certain size back in, you know, 23 years ago. But it was a really cool idea. Right. And it was like, it was literally in, in the town that I lived in. So 
you know, ditch the 104 mile commute and, and, you know, do it in your backyard and, and true raw startup. Right. So like, all right, let's push this a little further. Let's really see how this, how this looks. And uh, so I started off running business development there. Right. So it wasn't just in the the core piece because we just did, there was no, it was pre-revenue. There was like, there was nothing to count, right? Like, so we had to go make something to count first. And so you, you pulled back your chase days, right? Going out meeting clients. Right, exactly. Right. So I had that, that core skill that I developed. So I had a ton of fun. Didn't really know much about professional photography, which is the other thing I liked. I don't know, you know, what part of my background likes, tends to make me like to parachute into situations where I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's there. Right. So, so we did it. And then, you know, over about a six year period, met everybody, including my wife. My wife was actually a professional photographer from St. Louis. And we had kind of a core group of ambassadors. There were two guys, one in LA, one in, uh, one in Atlanta who were like the two top wedding photographers. One of them had shot all the Kennedy weddings. Right. And these guys were awesome. So we would travel around and do these, you know, dog and pony shows all over the country. But there was a group of about 50, we called them ambassadors who were great friends of these two photographers, Gary Fong and Dennis Reggie, you know, so we built a really tight group and we would go to the conference and it was a, a big, good time. So built just fantastic friends from that business. And we ended up taking it from no revenue um, to over 5,000 professional photographers. And about two years into the period, the interesting was a business changed completely because uh, Fuji came out with the first like good digital SLR, right? And, you know, Kodak had cameras way ahead of that, but they just couldn't get it mobile essentially, right? So photographers started to convert from film to digital in 2001, 2002, and the market swung completely. It went from 95% film in 2000 when we started to 95% digital by 2002. So we had to pivot the model, charge differently, because we used to get paid for each scan that we would make, right? And and wedding photography, like the the rapport you have to build with the clientele to convince them to send their film that they can't replace from a wedding to some crazy little lab in Hermosa Beach, California to get it scanned and then put it up on the web and produce, like that was a reach, right? And so that's why it was so critical that we had ambassadors that they trusted who were saying, you know, I've tried it. It's a really great service. So it was a great run, right? We ended up building that to, you know, north of 40 million in revenue and ended up a few years in getting a, a large uh, private equity firm interested in the business. And we, we started off looking to recap it and they ended up deciding they wanted to buy it. So it was a, it was a great experience. We stepped through angel fundraising, right? Some friends and family money first. So having done the traditional VC route first, then seeing like uh, friends and family leading to kind of a uh, Southern California has a really well-developed angel network, right? So go in to raise some capital there and then you keep building and getting some partnerships that, you know, with Kodak in particular, that contribute a lot of the equipment that we needed. So we kind of, you know, very much bootstrapped it, right, and fit the pieces together, but ended up creating a lot of value for the friends and family and the people that were in early. So, you know, another great experience, but I wasn't the CFO there, right? So we had another gentleman who's another UCLA grad. He was in a little earlier than I was. So I ran 
kind of the sales and BD part, grew it to get some business. He was running the finance part. And then uh, towards the end, he, he ended up moving on to do something else. And I picked up the finance role. But then I had to actually accept my neck position to get the official title CFO. So what was your title at the, at the photography? Oh, VP God, of finance I, I was thinking something? I was VP business development. And there were no <laughs> SVPs. It was just like VP and the CEO. And then it became like something incredibly long, like VP finance and business development. So it was something like that, right? So how um, could you fit all that on a business card? You really couldn't, right? So that's when I stopped Front carrying business cards. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you, you get the CFO title. Yeah. And so I didn't get it at, at that company, Pictage. But after, um, you know, after the transaction closed and we got that all done, I took a little time and then, you know, specifically ended up accepting a role with a small public company, NASDAQ traded company right in LA, who had a great CEO. And I had the, the CFO title. And the great thing about that, I didn't really think about honestly, having the CFO title, right, in that trend, like, oh, I, I got to go get something that has the CFO title. It was more about getting the experience with public company reporting, right? So, and this is 2006, 2007 now. And so that was the opportunity because they were a SEC reporting entity, but, you know, very, but very small, right, in, in a tough market. But I wanted to get that experience, right? And so it was a very small team had to do most of the K's and Q's ourselves. They just had released the iPhone. I'm a big Apple fan, so I can remember submitting my first Q on my iPhone to the SEC, which was, that was kind of bleeding edge in 2007, sure. right? So we had some fun with that. But, you know, I learned a lot about the pieces. I learned, again, how to do it on a shoestring, right? Um, so we had a lot of fun. So I did that for a couple of years, but I was, you know, first officially CFO at InfoSearch Media. So how, uh, how'd you get that job? How'd you get connected with the CEO? Yeah, it was a recruiter in, uh, in LA. Like I said, I took a little time off after, um, the, the photography company. So, you know, I was just looking at some different things and, uh, the recruiter said, Hey, there's a, a really interesting CEO that I'd like you to meet. And he needs to bring in a, a new CFO to, to try and kind of restart things. So I went out and, um, it was supposed to be an interview, but it ended up in like a two and a half hour whiteboard session with me and the CEO. And we were just like, well, I guess we better make this permanent. Right. So anyway, so it was good. Learned a lot from him for sure. And, um, and then got that public company reporting experience at a, a very granular level. Right. So like saw all the pieces that you have to have. And I don't know, just how I was raised. I like to understand, I like to be able to do something myself so that when I clone it and hand it off, I know exactly what's in there and nobody can blow smoke, right? But tell me, how do you convince the CEO yeah. of a publicly traded company right. to take you that has no public experience, no, no yeah. SEC reporting experience, and hand you the CFO title? How does, how does that happen? Do you remember? It just, yeah, was it, it was that whiteboard session, right? Because we, we clicked immediately. And again, it was getting into that conversation of where are we going a couple steps down the road, right? So it wasn't, uh, we certainly covered the technical aspects of the requirements, right? But it was more about where are we, where are we going to go? And look, it was a really small public company. So, I mean, it was public, but, but it wasn't a, a big operation. So it was, you know, like a perfect 
learning experience for me because again you had to get in the weeds on this one because you just couldn't afford to have some you know massive staff doing everything so you had to do a lot of it a lot of it yourself and i think it's it's hard to run a public company that lean these days just because the regulatory environment has made it much more complicated right so there's just a burden on there that that makes it very difficult to do it that way mm-hmm. so it was kind of a point in time it was a great opportunity for me i got the experience and i got that title and then you know that that then has been the arc of the last 15 years has it been public ever since the company the companies so have have your CFO titles all been with CF with uh, publicly no, traded companies? No, that's a, that's a great question, actually, Chad. Um, so I have bounced back and forth a little bit. I think it's one of those grass is always greener things because I think any CFO that you talk to a public company CFO, like at some point in time, quarterly financial reporting becomes the bane of your existence, right? So there's access to capital, right, and and there's investor relations, and there's some other things that you're not going to have in a private company experience, which can be fun, but they can also be incredibly frustrating, right? So I think it there tends to be ebbs and flows, right? So if I think of that, you know, started as CFO for a public company in 2007, uh, have worked for a couple big public companies since then, where I wasn't the CFO. So, you know, much bigger organization reported to the CFO. And then I've been at smaller privates, you know, where more recently, I would say it's, it's stabilized into the CFO position since 2015, basically. So the last eight years I did, I joined, uh, that's when I first actually got introduced to Phoenix. So I worked for uh, Apollo education which is the parent company for, was the parent company for University of Phoenix. And so I actually got pulled in there by the gentleman that was the CEO at the first public company I was CFO at, right? So we had each gone and done something separate. And then he called me in 2010 and said, hey, there's this really interesting thing. And again, we'd always enjoyed our collaboration, right? And, and that was really fun because although we weren't in the top seats, we were in very influential seats. And so we were able to push for some things that, that we think needed to be, be changed. So we got to do some, some really fun stuff there. We, um, I worked right over, I actually, on the way here this morning, I drove past my old office. It was right on Priest in the 202. So right over by Tempe, I think there's like a port of subs across the street still. So I might hit that for lunch afterwards. There you go. So we were running a teacher continuing education business there. Um, which was, you know, a nice $50 million ish business. And then we convinced the leadership that they needed to get more into leadership development for the basically the fortune 200. So really big companies. So we convinced them to, to let us go. And this is when, you know, university of Phoenix was having some troubles on the regulatory front. And we said, Hey, you, you really need to diversify it. A lot of people want shorter duration programming. They want, Hey, you know, six certificate courses that are going to allow them to get a bigger IT job, right? Or the teachers want to get a higher job within the educational infrastructure. So it started there. And I think you're seeing that again, everything takes longer, right? Like that's the biggest thing I've learned is you can have these great ideas, but generally it's not going to happen overnight, right? I think there've been some things that have happened really fast. The internet has changed that speed, but most things take a while. 
So we got to roll that program out. Took a couple of years to build it. We had to do all the technology behind it, web, take it to AWS, do all those pieces. But again, I've always enjoyed having my fingers in a few different fires and not just not just being the bean counter, right? So that was a tremendous experience. Um, we did that actually up in San Francisco. So for about three years, I lived in, we, we lived at LA the whole time, right? We lived at the beach in LA. So like one week I'd fly to Phoenix and we'd do the teacher uh, continuing education business. And then the, the next week I'd fly to San Francisco and we build out this new professional development program, right? For, for corporate America and, uh, Apollo was the holding company for University of Phoenix, and they had about 600 people in San Francisco doing mostly technology and marketing, right? Um, and back then, University of Phoenix was the, actually, I think, the largest marketer on Google. So the annual marketing spend was like $300 million a year. It was a massive spend. Took uh, University of Phoenix to a lot of, uh, a lot of San Francisco Giant games, I remember. <laughs> I don't think I ever went to one. But so it was a great run and, you know, a lot of different experiences. And then ultimately it wasn't going the direction that I, I thought we needed to invest more into that programming and they were just running into difficult capital situations. So, um, so anyway, yeah, that, I found that's a, a whole nother story, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> it's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> so tell me about, obviously with CFO role, there's leadership involved. Mm -hmm. uh, do you consider yourself a natural leader? Talk, to me about your growth within leadership itself. Yeah. The thing I've really learned over the last 25 years in particular is that a team is, is a much better way to solve it than an individual. But I think there's some caps on that. Like I think smaller teams tend to be able to execute more rapidly and more precisely than large teams. And I, I just think that's sort of kind of where where I started, my father was uh, special forces after going to West Point. And that's what I saw in action when I was born in Okinawa, right? Like, well, a couple of years later, it orients how you think about the future, right? Because you see how things get done in that setting, right? And I think there's a lot of, a lot of connections to how things get done in business, right? And um, so that's always been a, a really strong, had a really strong impact on how I approach things. You know, so as you go through the arc of your career, you see places where it, it, it kind of moves from being doing things yourself, right? So you're an analyst at, at Chase, right? And you're doing this stuff, and, but it's, it's very tactical. And then over the arc of your career, you're moving towards how do you find the right people to fill in the different things that the organization needs to accomplish um, whatever the goal is. Right. And um, I think uh, that's one of the places where, you know, you see that arc arc of a career where you're you're moving from the, the doer role. I mean, I've heard the puppeteer role is kind of one that gets thrown around a lot these days. So I don't know if it's that, but it's more like, all right, I can kind of see maybe where this is going there's some things we're going to need to continue that arc and continue that development. So that's, that's what I've really enjoyed over the past is you, you do move from the, the doing to the orchestrating over that point in time. Um, what would you so, consider your leadership style? I'm pretty direct. Right. And I think that just, you know, kind of stems from how I started. 
Um, and and the military. <laughs> right. Especially West Point. In, inseparable, right. But I also, I really enjoy kind of handing the reins off more these days and not trying to do everything yourself and try and bring that team along to to um, to do whatever the task is, right? I, I work for a, I, I'm sure we'll get onto it, but I, I work for a company in Phoenix now um, that's very much about that, right? Like it's how do we anticipate where our clients want to go and then how do we make sure we have the right resources there? So more and more of your time starts to come into that sort of table setting, right, for what's coming down the road and, and make sure you're positioned correctly. Well, and working with a visionary, I'm sure helped that help, yeah. help you see around corners that maybe right. a lot of people can't. So I like this question and you referenced it before. What would you go back and tell your younger self? It's funny when you're in the middle of it, right? Like it's, it's hard to understand that there's kind of a, a longer course, right? And everything seems so critical in the moment. I mean, I think it's important to, to, do, to do things that you enjoy and really feel passionate about. If you're not excited by something, it's going to be really hard to fake it. So, you know, I always tended to migrate towards things that I, I really enjoyed doing it. And, uh, you know, early on, the M&A stuff was, was really exciting. So, you know, would definitely kind of focus on that. And then and then that becomes kind of a, a means to an end, right? And you, as you get a little older, you see a few more things and you say, hey, there's a lot of ways to grow a business, right? And so, um, you know, I want to play in that more broadly than, you know, just doing M&A deals, right? Which is a, a definitely a path I could have gone down, but I think it's, it's a mix, right? So there's some organic growth. What do you need to do to, to nurture that internally? There's some external things that you can do. So I think, you know, part of it's dictated by the situation, what industry you're in, what kind of growth arc is in front of you there, uh, and then what's the best way to execute against that. So these, to me, these are always like chess pieces, right, that you can deploy in different ways based on the situation that, that you see in front of you. And um, so I really enjoy that part of it now. So you kind of move from tactical to a little more strategic over that arc, but certainly you have to have the right foundation to understand what those different moves look like and what it's going to give you. And then what some of the, the risks and the setbacks will be right. So with my current organization, we have a really strong market position and we can be really strategic about where the next move is. Right. So it's, it's nice to be in a position like that where you can really think about all right, where's the industry going? What's not working so well right now? You know, what's what's going to be the best way to get to whatever the goal is? And I think that's one of the things I've really seen over the last 25 years is, look, you're always going to have to adjust your plan for whatever's happening on the field, but um, you do need to have a plan and then you do need to be able to be flexible enough to adjust based on what's happening out there. And that's I, I, that's the part I probably enjoy the most, right? Like making those, making those changes and and saying, all right, here's where we are, here's where we want to get to. Well, you're fortunate because a lot of CFOs are just fighting fires all day long. So yeah, you, right, you have that right, that opportunity. Right. So this is kind of how we're going to wrap this up. But mm -hmm. and you you touched on it a little bit. So 
and it's the question is what advice would you give to someone just starting out either early on in their career or that wants to achieve the CFO title? I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. And it's interesting because another guest I had on here also worked for Hulahan Loki. Oh, yeah. Also was in, in investment banking mm-hmm. and then went into restructuring as opposed to yep. M&A. Right. But uh, did a lot of different things to try and figure out maybe what their likes are. Right. Just be open to it. So what, what advice would you give? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you need to sample a few different things, right? So I started off on very traditional footing with Chase for almost six years, right? So, you know, very traditional credit, you know, those pieces. And then, and then sort of figured it out, right? And then, you know, kind of adjusted where I wanted to be. And then, you know, it was a good time to go back to school, right? So um, they wouldn't take me at Stanford, so I had to go to UCLA. So, you know, I did that. Had a tremendous experience. It's a great program. Still very connected to it. Uh, so Anderson was was the perfect place for me. And then you know, then you come out and you've been exposed to more things. So I think if you're going to go down this path, I, I'm a big fan of you know getting the the MBA or the MS program in there at some point in time, depending on what you want to do, because I think it does sort of broaden your field of vision on on what's out there. And then, uh, and then, you know, I spent a couple of years, so I did sort of traditional banking, B-School, and then a couple of years in investment banking with Houlihan Loki. And that was great because it, it showed me some of the traditional valuation pieces and then got me into some of the M&A stuff. And then, you know, and then I basically got recruited out there by somebody I'd worked for while I was in business school, having that, that pedigree of of Houlihan behind you then. And, you know, I think a pretty broad sense of what was out there, right? So you definitely have to try different things, find out what your affinity is with, right? And then move in that direction. And then as I moved into the corporate world, again, it started, it was kind of M&A, you know, initially, and then it broadened into more of like a corporate role where you've got different departments kind of reporting in. And then that's, that's been the path really of the last 25 years is um, you, you continue to have more things under you, but it's really important, I think, to have a broad sense of what the field looks like, not be so super linear. And I know we have a tendency to do that these days, right? So I would just encourage people to try and broaden their experience set so they can come at people or come at opportunities from different directions. Cause as you, as you look at my, like my last 15 years, different pieces have been more important. Some places like debt was incredibly important, right? Uh, others were public companies. So we had to go out and do secondary offerings. Right. So I think the more you can have in your tool bag, you know how to adapt to a situation and it's more likely you're going to be able to respond effectively and network. And, and network. network. Always, always be networking, right? Every, Something like every that. guest that I have had on uh, talks about how important the network yeah, is. Right. So I think we, we really hit on a network is important, getting a lot of different experiences, the internships and yep. everything. So absolutely. I can't believe how fast time flies, but yeah. we're, we're coming to the end here. And yep. I mean, we could go on for another couple hours because I know you got, you got a lot of information, a lot of knowledge to share, but I do appreciate you being here today and, absolutely. and sharing that knowledge. And uh, if if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, how how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, I think um, you know I've been a huge LinkedIn fan um, from the very beginning, so that's a, a great place. Uh, 
I'm pretty easy to spot there. So, uh, you know, you can, you can track me down there. And, uh, you know, we, we've moved from Los Angeles to Phoenix in the last couple of years and are really loving it out here. So I'd worked out here for a couple of years, so it made that transition easier, but, but we're having a great time and I love to help people, uh, as much as I can, as well as continue to grow this, uh, exciting business I'm with now. So fantastic. I too can also be reached on, you can look me up on Google, Chad Dean, integrated management. I should, I hope I'm number one on there that comes up. <laughs> uh, I also too am a big user, um, addicted to LinkedIn right. uh, for better or worse. And so that's it. We're going to wrap this show and thank you very much, Scott, for your time today and look forward to talking with you more after this. Likewise. Okay. Thanks everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders. We encourage you to apply the knowledge and wisdom shared in these conversations to your own career. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Your feedback is important to us as we continue to bring you more candid conversations and thought-provoking insights from successful financial leaders.